This is Kevin. And this is Ron. And this episode of Your Valuable Home is brought to you by Provia. Provia, a faith-based company that makes entry doors, storm doors, patio doors, vinyl and wood-clad vinyl windows, vinyl siding, manufactured stone, and metal roofing, all of incomparable quality. Welcome to Your Valuable Home, the weekly podcast for listeners who believe that residential real estate is the way to build wealth. Hi, I'm Kevin Kennedy, a working contractor and host of Your Valuable Home. Your Valuable Home is for homeowners and investors alike who want to acquire and improve real estate based upon educated decisions. And I'm Ron Milk, Your Valuable Home producer and co-host. Our weekly one-hour podcast is not about doing it yourself. It's about hiring the right contractor to do the right job at the right price. And it's not about flipping. It's about buying and holding to build wealth. Homeowners and investors strive to create wealth and financial freedom with real estate and avoid costly home improvement mistakes. Your valuable home is for you. The Project Replay made redoing our kitchen and bath trouble-free. Your horror stories have kept us from hiring the wrong contractors. The college segments have taught us how to keep toxins out of our home, what to look for in replacement windows, how to borrow sensibly against home equity, and more. College teaches investors like me how to freshen up my rentals without spending a fortune. Their suggestions are great for ROI. It's time for Your Valuable Home. All right, Kev, you've got a, a pretty interesting replay for us here. We're going to be talking about permits and how they've escalated in price over the years. I just want to remind our listeners that we're coming down to the end of our real estate roundup. The next two shows are going to be all about California, four different locations in California. So let's rip right into the replay. Yeah, you know what? It's been a lot of people have been asking me about permits and why the permit prices are going high. When people pay for permits for like a small bathroom, and I've done a couple of my customers, they said, listen, I got to do a job and it's got to be permitted. So I need to get a permit from the township. Now, a little whole powder room was $1,100. For a powder room? Powder Not room. even a bathroom? No, no. Well, I had to slide the plumbing over a little bit, but it was, we didn't remove the drywall. We didn't remove any of the main components. Everything stayed in the same spot in that same envelope. So it was just sliding them over, but it wasn't a big deal. But I said, listen, when we do a job, we got to get a permit. The husband said, wow, it's a lot of money. I said, I- I- I'm not making money off the permit because you, you have a copy of the permit. And that's from the township. So over the last four or five months, people have been asking me, why is the permit pricing so high? And they did. They escalated pretty high with every township that I deal with. So I said, here's probably one of the main things is that more townships today. Now, this is where I'm doing a lot of work out of Bucks County, north of Philadelphia area. They're outside agencies now. Yeah, this, uh, this doesn't mean to say that permits are high all over the place, right? No, no. Well, I actually got a call into somebody in the North Carolina area, and their prices have went up substantially, about a 30% increase okay. right so outside Raleigh. what's the Raleigh. reason for this? I don't know if it's the COVID cost. Uh, that people are hiring outside agencies that are they're bringing the cost up. So it's going to be a separate electrician, separate framing, separate mechanical. Everybody's got their hands in a cookie jar, and it's just one company that's overseeing it. So when you have more people that are involved with other agencies, they're going to charge money because everybody's making a markup on each one of the separate entities, like are giving example in this area. Townships don't do electrical inspections anymore in this area. We have companies that will do it separate. They outsource it. Yeah. So there's not one of them that I know that do it. There's one of the reasons why they're going up. Yeah. And now we got to have an electrical drawing done that's got to be approved by United because they do a great job. I said, that's why I love dealing with United to those guys. But it's another cost that's added in. And I think that's one of the reasons you and I did a show just recently, a couple weeks ago, about people not getting permits, getting caught and having massive amount of more work to do because they got to rip everything out that they already did. So if you're going to do that, do you take that chance? 
But I think that's one of the reasons why people aren't doing these permits is because the cost is so high. So, wow, I think you're probably right about that. What was a similar permit 10 years ago? So we just did a addition. We had her on the show two months ago. We finished it out. That permit two years ago, because I did in that same township, I paid $1,103. I just checked it out. And then this one I paid for that edition was $1,856. Wow. I mean, that's a major increase in oh, two yeah. years. I don't know the exact reason for it. Nobody wants to talk about it. Townships won't talk about it. No, they're not going to talk about it. I was in to get a permit for one of the jobs, and they said, we're not going to answer that question. We don't want to come on the air. We don't want you to mention our name. I'm like, that's no problem. I get it. I just want to inform our homeowners and contractors why this is happening. I think you put your finger on one reason, but I think there are probably multiple reasons for it. It has to be. Salaries are going up for the people who work in the townships. They're outsourcing this stuff. That's probably more expensive than township engineer doing it. Correct. Yeah, uh, correct. Undoubtedly more expensive. You know, it, it, it really gets me when townships or school boards want more and more money and need more money and your taxes go up or whatever. The underlying assumption is that everybody can afford it. And I don't think that's a good assumption to make. Correct. You know Especially in this day and age. Uh-huh. How can you assume that? Well, I'll give an example. Like we have, In our township, we have a new trash company. And now the trash company, you can't put anything out. You have to buy the full cans, but you can't have anything outside that. Everything's got to be inside the can because nobody's getting oh, out of the truck You have to buy anymore. the can? Oh, yeah. You got, we had to buy the cans. We had to get two of them. We didn't buy our cans. Well, they made us buy the cans. Our taxes go up, but let alone use a service that's going to be cheaper because now there's the driver doesn't have to get out of the vehicle. The truck comes, grabs them. Yeah, they have that big hook that comes yeah. out. Yeah, yeah. So if it's going to be cheaper for them to service it, why is my taxes going up if we're using a company that's going to be cheaper? I know we're trying to cut costs, but that's what I don't understand. So you're right. The assumption it goes along with what we've been talking about in the bad guy bulletin. Everybody is passing the cost of customer service onto the customer. Isn't it great? Right? Don't you love you, it? You are now working for whoever provides your service. <laughs> Basically, that's what it's all about. Just to digress a little bit. I had a call this morning that I had to make to some sort of, sort of insurance I have. The mail, you can't trust the mail these days. I mailed it on time and it didn't get there in time. So they sent me the Dunning notice plus my new bill. I was on the phone for 25 minutes and accomplished absolutely nothing. You got to do this. You got to do that. Do you want the voice enabled system? Because our people who answer the phones cannot take credit cards. They're not allowed to do that. Just to make things really easy. So I get on the phone. This is after about 25 minutes to pay my bill with my credit card. I recite the first four numbers and it tells me the numbers are incorrect. Well, of course they're incorrect because it cut me off. I couldn't recite the rest of the numbers. So I said, when I got this woman on the phone, I said, this is absolutely laughable. Whatever you people did there, you got to redo it. You got to get the person who was in charge of this, whip them into shape and tell them to make it right because it's a waste of everybody's time. Yeah. Well, I told you, remember the one time we were talking about my cell phone and it turned off. Now, I'm still old school. Send me in the mail. I get the bills, I put them aside, and I'm on time. So everything's got to be paid. I just make sure I'm paid. And I've been doing this for 30 years. My phone shut off. And I said to my wife, we paid the bills, right? She's like, yeah, everything's – we get them in. We put them in the bin that I pay the bills on. So I called him up. And I said, you know, why would you turn it off? And she said, we never paid the bill. And I said, when were you sending me the letter for the bill with the amount? Oh, we stopped doing that, they said. I'm like, what do you mean you stopped doing it? When did you tell me? Ah, <laughs> uh, well, I guess we didn't notify you. I'm like, don't you think that's a little bit of a problem? So I said, maybe maybe you're right. Can you go back uh, in your records and see if I've never not paid on time? Well, you know, I'm going to go back seven years, she said, and you're always paid on time. I'm like, I pay all my bills on time or ahead of time. So you're telling me that I, I didn't pay it? I said, because you made the mistake of, ah, you know what? We're not going to send him a bill. All right. Uh, well, whose fault's that? Because they were going to charge me each phone a restart fee. So I got out of that. But I said, no, I don't mind paying the bill. I always pay the bill on time. But 
who makes these decisions? Don't you want to convert to the customer and say, hey, listen, here's what we're going to do? Some genius is probably making a half a million a year. Yeah, I mean, that's what we talk about. But you, you got to get a permit. Bottom line is the costs are rising. I get it. But if you don't get the permit and you get caught, number one, as a contractor, you're going to get almost like a, they call it a blacklist in the township because they're going to be really upset with you, the contractor. Number two is by doing it, you're going to get the right job. Is there a fine for the homeowner who doesn't get a permit? A couple of weeks, we're going to have that homeowner back who got ripped off by the contractor that right. we're doing in Montgomeryville. Right. Uh, why don't we ask him when we get Did to Did he back? get a fine? Yeah. I, I don't know because I always get permits. I get permits for everything. I would imagine that there probably is a fine. we got to, we got to check that out. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll have him on in a couple of weeks. But you know what? People are asking, listen, Send me, Kevin, at yourvaluablehome.net. If you have any questions, let me do some investigative reporting. I mean, I can call anywhere in the country. I've got connections all around. I just want to make sure that I'm giving you the right information. But bottom line is if you're getting a job done, you got to get a permit. Yeah. Now, some townships don't require for windows or siding. Windows meaning that if you have a window and you're replacing it inside the same opening. Now, if you get a window and you want to make a five-foot window to 10-foot permit. You need architect plans because you put new headers in. They're going to see a structural load. That's when you'll need it. But that's some of the townships. So check with your local township that you're living in to make sure that they're requiring a permit because if you don't get a permit and you get caught, they could be really tough. They could make you rip it out and redo Let me everything. put you on the spot here. What would be the approximate cost of a permit for an addition that includes a bathroom? Uh, most townships anywhere now was about 1000 to 1100 It's about 1800 to $2,000 in this area. And what's changed? What's changed? Uh, the date. Went from Monday to Tuesday, maybe. The same addition <laughs> then is yeah. costing a lot more for permit now. Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. The architect, even though there's codes that are upgraded, but they're out in the plans. All they're doing is review, reviewing the plans depending on the, like in Pennsylvania, we're at IRC, International Residential Code 2018. So that's what they're going to abide by to make sure that whatever's on the plans are at that compliance for the 2018 code. I remember I did one in a uh, local township. The guy kept charging the township back for all the revisions and he was making revisions that weren't really revisions and he was skimming off the top so i talked to the manager of that township and this was a few years back by the way that company did get fired from that township I, so i don't blame them well yeah you're I'm skimming gonna, off the, the township's top. on the case well it's the taxpayer's money hmm. review your plan take a look at it if there's any issues you redo it when you give me a fail on an addition even with matt petrowski is my architect 23 times I've been doing this for 34 years. I never had more than two revisions. Hey, you know what? We forgot this. Hey, could you just double check and get this? So they review it. They give you a list. We apply and we reapply and we set that list and we check off everything on that list to make sure that the inspector got it. He might have forgot something like it happens, but they might send you another list and you just redo it. Not 23 times. Hmm. I'm at a 20. I was at a point where I started writing a letter saying, hell, you want the air conditioner unit? I said, I will grab the air conditioner with my knees. I would bend properly with my knees so I don't throw my back out. I cut it along the dotted line to make sure that there's going to be no damage to the unit. I had to write a letter like that, which I know pissed him off a lot more. But he kept saying, I need more information. Well, you need more information. I'm installing it to the IRC 2018 code that we need to for the mechanical drawings. You're going to be inspecting it. So if I give you a 28,000-page report of how to do it and I get some bum who doesn't know what they're doing, install it wrong, you're going to fail me anyway. So it should be enough where we put it on there that says we're going to do it to the plans. You're going to inspect it and be done with it. But it, it was a lot more just in this township. But I never had that problem before. It's just I noticed also that the permit prices have been going up. Yeah. So Wow. But, I still recommend well, we, this that you has get been it. like an epic replay. <laughs> yeah. Well, people need to know this stuff. People need to know. You're absolutely right. Because everybody's complaining about something. Well, 
I, I get it, but the only thing you do is just talk to the township and ask them why. Yes. Let them give you a reason, but still get a permit when you're doing a job. So that's what we should be looking for in all of our homeowners and listeners. Uh, I'm contractor. not so sure. This was a little bit of horror story in here too. You got a doozer of a horror story coming up, right? Yes, yeah, my own personal. Uh-huh. Uh, it's okay. almost like a bad guy bulletin type. Uh, a little bit early because it's been happening to me a little bit more than I really want to. So stay tuned. We'll listen yeah. to a good horror story. Okay. Okay, Kev, we just came out of what could be called a horror story. It was a replay with the cost of permits going up. Now you've got a very interesting and very intricate horror story to tell. Yeah, that you involves know, you personally. It's my life. Mm-hmm. I tell you, I don't know if it just happens to me, but have you ever just thought everything that's happening, like we talked about customer disservice, it feels like it's just been happening to me specifically. I know every time you talk about the bad guy bulletin, it's always problems that you're having. But I tell you, for the past couple of years, it's just that I feel like I'm getting taken and the companies that are standing behind their product are going, well, you know what? I don't feel like doing that anymore. So I'm going to charge you for extra amount of money. I'm not going to warranty the product. You have to deal with it. And if it's a problem with the product, I want you to pay for it again. So I started out with siding down the shore. And I've been dealing with this company years and years. I even launched their products. And this was another siding company that I dealt with for 25 years. I sent them photos like they wanted to. And I did the warranty packet. And... I sent them everything they needed. So they re- immediately came back and said, well, the siding's not a problem. I said, the siding was a dark avocado color, and it was misty shadow. I'm going to tell you even the color it was misty shadow, and it turned white. They said, well, there's nothing wrong with it. I said, it's white, and I sent you the piece. It faded. They said, well, there's nothing wrong with it. I said, well, can you just explain this? And this is where the person hung up on me. I said, the siding, I have a picture of it because you wanted all the sides. Why is the J channel, that's the component where the siding slides into to hide the seams, is still perfect in color. Ah, uh, well, we don't know that reason, but that's so we're not covering the warranty. What do you mean <laughs> so you're not like, covering the warranty? It's like, go away. We don't want to talk to you. Nope. Yeah. It failed miserably, the siding. And, and right around that same time, I did the shop when I bought my house. It's done around the same time in Provia, which is their, it's called Timberline Color. You know, that's still pretty perfect. It looks great. It's awesome. There's no problems with it. But see, that's the thing I always tell people. If you're going to be buying a product, shouldn't a company that you're paying a boatload of money for stand behind their product? This was only a year and a half when I sent a picture. It was right after COVID. I said, hey, I got to send you these pictures. Now, here's what it is. You got to fight for it. But I just don't have the time to fight for it. But I'll never use the company again. So that misty shadow siding, I'll never use it. And I'm telling everybody, never use that product because you're not going to get covered under warranty. I'll tell you something. If you, if you really took the time to fight all these things and the customer service deal and products going wrong, you spend all your time on the phone. I mean, I work out of my house. I work basically in charge of my own time. Somebody who's working, like in an office or something like that, you know, all offices today are all open. You know, they're just little cubby holes with there's no walls around them. How do you make these calls during the day? How do you do it? How does people do it? I don't know. But here's the thing I always look at is that even if they pay a minimal amount, you're the homeowner. you got to pay the contractor because it's not the contractor's fault to come out and replace all that siding. So either way, you're taking a bath if that's siding product or roofing product, because you, the homeowner, have to pay for it. How about that one for you? Which makes it even more important to deal with a company like Provia. Absolutely. You don't have those problems. You oh, they're don't. great with it. It's like a one and done with everything that they do. But why wouldn't you stand behind the product? Because you and I talked about it. If you refer somebody, it goes a little way. But you have problems, it goes a lot worse. So why not cover the product since you know it's a problem? And I, I even told the person, I said, listen, I, I, I launched products. I product tested for your company for the last 20 years. I said, when the other big company bought you out, you threw me out. And I said, well, listen, I was doing the show at that time, so I didn't really want to be involved in it. But if I'm buying your product 
and it fails immediately. Don't you think you should have a little bit of recourse to address Absol- my issue? Absolutely. And you did years ago. Yeah. Something changed somewhere along the line. Well, the bigger companies don't want to be involved with these problems. They want to put a product out and have the homeowner pay yeah, for it. because they have enough additions. customers. If you're, if you're dissatisfied, you might do some bad stuff on social media, but it's not going to really hurt them that much. No. Right? No. So I, I, I've been telling people just – I just got two more jobs for, for Provia because I'm moving contractors over that way. So I said, listen, what, you're dealing with the same product, same insulation, same everything. They're vo- both very good products. One warranties the product. The other one doesn't. And nice part is Provia was about $100 a square less than the foam back siding of the other wow. competitors. Wow. He said, you got to be kidding me. So we checked it out. He just said, hey, sold another one. Excellence for less. And a better warranty. So why not put a better product that's less expensive than a company that stands behind your product? And look, anybody wants to see the pictures on social media or name the company, if you want to come look at the workmanship, if the company wants to come and talk to me about it, I would love to have them on the air. I know the products. This is what I know, Ron. I know building. I know how things work. But if it's going to fail immediately, you've got to make sure that the contractor who's putting the product on is going to be standing behind the product also. Well, if you have a manufacturer, defect. Yeah, because you've got two things. You've got a product and you've got installation. Right. So it's got, to, it's got to apply right on down the line. And when there's a problem, who's the first person a homeowner is going to call? The contractor. Right. Now the contractor is going to put his hands up and go, whoa, what am I going to do? I didn't make the product, and I get it. I understand. But I think there should be a little bit more recourse from the manufacturer. I'll give you another example. So my refrigerator. I bought it right after COVID. We did our kitchen, and I figured I'd do it at that time. I've had so many problems, and it's a very expensive refrigerator. Uh, it's a big one, too. It's just every six months something goes wrong. So eight times, the refrigerator, the gaskets went out, the unit shut off, the ice maker broke down, then the gaskets went again, then the ice maker went again. Now it's shutting on and off. You know what it is? It's a test of your character. I got to give it to my wife. She was said to me, she was on the phone with the company for 45 minutes, and she just hung up. She's like, I just can't deal with it. But how long do I get to be on the phone waiting for customer service? Because during those two well, times- that's, that's my point, too. It's, just, it's, a, it's a waste of everybody's time. Like, I don't need to answer right away. Maybe you could leave a message and get back maybe the next day. I get it. Like, I, everybody's busy. So don't tell me, like, you're not busy. You're, you're one of the biggest corporations in the appliance industry in the world. I figured I'd just get a phone call back because that's twice now. The refrigerator shut off. The next one we get up and all the food's warm. You ever have, like, warm milk and, and warm meats sitting in your freezer? That's really nice. The food went bad. You got to throw it out. You can't have warm meat and then refreeze it again. What's the total number of the stuff that you've trashed? Uh, it's about a six hundred and a four hundred dollar uh, trash thousand bucks. every time. Thousand bucks thousand plus bucks. we spent about two thousand six hundred and change in repairs. Uh, and by the way, right now as we speak, eh, the unit went down again. So it went wow. down about two months ago. Then I thought it was. I would impressive. not have the patience for this anymore. My wife doesn't have the patience. She is at wit's end at this point. Yeah, I don't blame her. I don't blame her. And here's the nice part. I'm not going to mention a company right now, but I will tell you this: I probably sell at least a minimum a half a million dollars of their product through our appliance place. A year. And do you want that to stop? So if you have a problem, and we've been documented, we have all the receipts from a separate repair guy. And we sent the repair guy. He came in, put a brand new ice maker in. Three weeks, four weeks later, it's the ice maker went. He goes, i got to put a new ice maker in. I'm going to have to charge you. What was the functionality that went down in that ice maker? What? It just it wasn't making ice. Wasn't making ice. So something has to be wrong, a switch or something, and it has to be wrong. Something, yeah. So wrong with it. So instead of us, because they said the warranty was gone, we called a company, reputable company, and they said, well, we're going to have to put an all-new ice maker in. We want everything replaced. I'm like, okay. It's $823. I'm like, i, I, I got to pay it. We need ice. So they, they won't stand by that? Nobody stands by their work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So my wife is that she wants to rip the refrigerator. I'm like, with what money? 
we can't afford a this is an expensive refrigerator. It took me about three years to save up for this, just putting it aside. We budget our money very well, but I want she wanted this appliance. I said, All right, well, let's get it. And it just failed again. So these are the things that, that have been happening to us. Like the mechanical we talked about down the shore and just other things that have just happened to me. But it's when do you, when's enough is enough for these homeowners? For anybody that has customer service problems, when when is it enough? But, see, the problem is our hands are tied between phones and computers that we need. I mean, you say it all the time. You're having so much difficult with companies calling you back or servicing a product that's brand new. It's been coming out of your money. Absolutely. It's the customers. They're using customers as their customer service department. That's great, isn't it? (laughs) I love America. (laughs) Only in America. All right, we'll be back after we take a quick break. Hey, Kev, we've talked many times about the importance of curb appeal and the value quality products add to exterior home improvements. Provia fiberglass entry doors and vinyl replacement windows add that value. And for huge impact, curb appeal, and value, there's Provia vinyl and polypropylene siding. Yep, the super polymer formulation of Provia siding reflects heat and protects against UV rays and solar heat buildup for lasting color and value. Provia siding comes in traditional, insulated, and decorative profiles, all with the look and texture of real wood. People often stop and ask me about my Provia Cedar Max siding. I've actually gotten siding jobs that way. Okay, so how about colors and styles? My customers love the extensive palette of popular colors, including dark and bold hues. New colors for 2023 include Miss Gray, Harvest Red, and Pine. And Provia offers a wide variety of styles from clapboard to Dutch lap, board and batten, and new Harbor Mill shingle and shake siding. Harbor Mill is reminiscent of traditional rough sawn shingle and staggered hand-split cedar shake. Both profiles are modeled after genuine cedar pieces using highly accurate laser scanning to ensure all the detail and texture of real cedar wood grain. Harbor Mill siding was designed with the installer in mind, incorporating built-in features that aid in a more efficient, hassle-free installation. The lightweight, rigid panels are easier to handle and include locks, guides, and marks for the installer. That makes for quicker installation and beautiful curb appeal. Yup, and you can see it all and have the colors and styles work with Provia entry doors and vinyl replacement windows at Provia's fabulous website, provia.com backslash YVH. Check out Provia's design center on the website and experiment with their exterior home visualizer to see how all the different styles, colors of Provia doors, windows, siding, stone, and roofing work together. Once again, Provia delivers on its mission to serve by caring for details in ways others won't. Visualize the possibilities at provia.com backslash YVH. Okay, Ron, as we continue with the real estate round, we're going to be heading due west to California. Yeah, moving right along here, we're going to California, which I just came from, as you well know. I was out there that I do. Uh, last week to L.A. and to Palm Springs. Beautiful weather, driving. It's like Always off, difficult. It's off the charts, yeah. So we got Susie Fracciani back. She was on last year, did a great job. We were spot on with the L.A. real estate market. She's from L.A. She's with Douglas Elman in L.A. Now she's back to give us her take on L.A. real estate this year and where she thinks it'll go in 2024. Susie, was the market for residential real estate in L.A. different in 2023 than in 2022? Yes. Hi, guys, and thanks for having me. I would say it is different. We are still dealing with an inventory shortage 
shortage. I always like to look at it in a numbers perspective. We're actually dealing with an inventory shortage nationally. But what's interesting is areas like Los Angeles offer a really amazing lifestyle of indoor-outdoor living, which you really can't get in most parts of the country. So there certainly are still niche pocket neighborhoods in and around Los Angeles County. I'm still seeing kind of like a moderate environment of bidding wars still. I'm not seeing the properties, you know, bid up. I think the highest bid up I saw on a property during COVID was a property went 700000 over asking oh after God. about Holy 15 smokes. offers. Wow. Yeah. I think the most offers I had gotten on one of my own listings during COVID was 46 or 47 offers. And I just had never seen something like that before. So I tell a lot of people that I consider COVID the unicorn years in real estate. I don't think we're going to see a market like that. And I don't actually think we're going to see an interest rate like that again, maybe not in my lifetime. The market is still moving, especially good areas with good schools or in good proximity to certain locations. The market is doing, it's healthy. It's just, you know, we're just still lacking some inventory, especially in certain areas. And it's made it tough for some buyers, especially with the environment of the interest rates to buy. Mention some markets that would be for middle-class people. My daughter and I, we drove through Mount Olympus, you know, off of, I think it's... Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a high-end neighborhood. High-end high end is not the word for it. Yeah. What are some middle-class markets in L.A.? Everything in LA has just become so expensive. I'd say probably areas that are more affordable are sort of like these in-between areas, like maybe not Santa Monica, but in between Santa Monica and some of the other areas like Beverly Hills, you've got areas like Culver City. Culver City offers a more affordable market or Westchester. Westchester's, you know, you're not quite on the side of the beach, but you're nearby it and you're kind of close enough to LAX. And there's a lot of younger families, professionals moving into areas like that. And then you kind of go over the other side of the hill. You look at San Fernando Valley, areas like Sherman Oaks, Van Nuys, Studio City. The valley, as we call it here, is a big stretch of area along the 101. Areas like Woodland Hills, which is majorly being developed. I mean, I'm, I'm telling people that I think Woodland Hills is a great place to invest right now. The Rams are moving their headquarters there. There's a whole bunch of development happening there. And I think pretty soon we're going to see that be not as affordable as it is now. But areas like Woodland Hills, Hills, Tarzana, Encino, they're a little bit more on the outskirts, but still in LA County, those areas are much more affordable than some areas like Hollywood Hills, West Hollywood, Santa Monica, Brentwood, whereas the prices there are more of the high end. My daughter lives in Sherman Oaks, and there's some nice neighborhoods in Sherman Oaks that I don't think are that expensive, right? Expensive is relative. It depends on what you think expensive is because unfortunately a million dollar home in Los Angeles is not that big. You know, you look at a million dollars anywhere else in the country and you're looking at a pretty sizable home with a pretty sizable amount of land. Whereas here you're kind of looking at a shoebox, especially depending on the area. I've experienced that firsthand, but a lot of those shoebox homes are pretty nice homes, especially for like mid-mod homes. I agree. I mean, there's certain areas in Los Angeles in Midtown where you see these really beautiful bungalow houses. Those were homes that were a million dollars that are now creeping up to two million. And they're like older homes, kind of an old war style or California bungalow style. Not a huge amount of property, maybe less than 2,000 square feet, but really nice, really cozy. And you're in proximity to everything. I would think that higher interest rates and inflation and everything that's going on in the market right now probably has an influence buying in the extremely high-end neighborhoods in LA, has it? 
What I've noticed is people who have money, they're always going to be able to buy when they want to. And I always tell people that life is always in constant transition. Someone gets married, someone gets pregnant, someone has a baby, someone graduates college, someone moves out of the home, someone has an empty nest. Life is always in transition. So there's always somebody who has some type of change. And with the high end, I am seeing more days on market. I do think a lot of sellers have overpriced their home already in this market, which is interesting because I'm seeing most properties be on the market a little bit longer. And you also have to consider the fact that there's so many sellers out there that refinance during that boom. Mm -hmm. And those people are probably not going to be sellers anytime soon. So there's a whole aspect of the market that's not going to be coming into the market. And it's made it a lot harder, I think, for buyers because people have been waiting out, you know, oh, we'll just wait till next year. We'll wait till the rates go down. Well, I don't don't think waiting is going to do anyone (laughs) benefit. Good luck with that. Yeah. My significant others, daughter and son-in-law, they've been stuck in this mud patch for two years now, can't find a house. So I'm saying to her, you know, instead of waiting, 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 some people that we're talking to around the country are saying the seller's market could last another four or five years. So if you're a young couple... Oh, I could totally see that. Yeah, yeah I, I could there's totally nothing, see that. There's nothing to change it. It's not going to change. So if you're yep. a young couple, you're going to be a middle-aged couple by the time you get a house. So my advice to her <laughs> was uh, look for a property. It's a long process, but you know, you're not getting any younger and look for a property and build a house and build a, a sizable house that's manageable today and then design a, an addition. So when you can afford it, you build it. The best thing in real estate is people think, oh, I'm going to buy, or I'm going to sell, but you really just want to buy and hold. That's the best investment. I bought a property in 2008 for, I think, 850000 overpaid for that property. Everyone told me that I was never going to get more for that property. I've held that property for 15 years. It's now worth 1.3. Well, that's LA too. I yeah. mean, you wouldn't get that kind of appreciation. Yeah, plus the equity. Uh, yeah, and, and that's a condo. And if you think about it, condos appreciate last. Wow, so, that's you nice. Know, Congratulations. And good rent money on top of that each month? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Great rent money. And that's another thing. I raised all my rents last year because I could. At the end of the day, it's a business and there's not a lot of inventory. And when there's not a lot of inventory, I mean, that's leverage for landlords. But yeah, it it can be a tough market, but I'm a really big believer in leveraging strategy. And if you have a plan in place, you can always figure something out. None. I have not had a single client in the 15 plus years I've been in this business be homeless. I spent some time in Palm Springs, too. Very, very interesting town. First time I had been there, mm. although we did a film on it. And I heard that prices are falling in Palm Springs, and I think I understand why. Is there any impact in L.A. in terms of prices falling? I wouldn't think so, right? I do think certain areas, yes, because like I said earlier, I think what's happened, and I want to say this respectfully to all the sellers out there, but I think a lot of y'all have gotten really greedy, and I think a (laughs) lot of people have overpriced their homes to begin with, and I think that is why I'm seeing in some senses longer days on market, and I think the average buyer today is a lot more sophisticated. We have a lot more information at our fingertips. Granted, I always tell people Redfin, Zillow, they're great tools for being able to see the inventory. Maybe not a pricing tool, but great tools for you to be able to leverage having the ability to click. Back in the day, we were using a book as big as the Yellow Pages to look at property. And now you can click from the comfort of your own home and your desk and be able to see what's out there. But what I'm seeing as far as areas like Palm Springs and what I think is adding to their markets doing so well is people are looking outside of L.A., for secondary residences, and some people 
are commuting, especially given that we're in this environment where you don't necessarily have to go into work all the time. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of those individuals are finding, like I have plenty of clients who go, you know, we're going to buy something farther out. You know, maybe we'll go into Santa Clarita or maybe we'll go farther east outside of the city or maybe we'll go more south or more north. I've had some clients move up closer to wine country because they want the space and they want their family to have room to grow and they only need to go into the office on Wednesdays. So if the husband or the wife or whoever's commuting has to drive a couple hours one day of the week, to them, that's worth it. So areas like Palm Springs and now also Palm Desert and Coachella Valley and Yucca Valley and especially now Joshua Tree, I've seen quite a boom because a lot of people I've seen move out there, even my own clients, they're in a position where their schedules are so much more flexible and those areas are affordable. So it enables them to be put in a position where they can invest down there and enjoy a life out there and also commute when they need to because it's not so taxing on them. Funny you should mention that because I bumped into this guy who's got a totally off the grid house in Joshua Tree. It's sort of Mm -hmm. a schlep from Palm Springs. Nice area, a lot of high desert. He actually, his full-time residence is in San Diego, which I think is probably a little bit easier to get to than LA. I would say it would probably be easier, yeah. I would say that would be easier. Yeah, You can take the 15 all the way down. Okay. I just can't imagine, I mean... Everybody who lives in L.A. would get a medal for driving in that traffic. It just, it, it just no way I could deal with it. So is it, just, it worse than the Beltway in D.C.? Oh, yeah. Well, the Beltway in D.C. is just a short area. Right. When I left Palm Springs yesterday morning at 510, I hit traffic, bumper-to-bumper traffic, 60 miles out, if you can believe that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that sounds about right. You know, it's, it's tough. I'm not going to lie. And to make matters worse, I've been all over the country, and I don't think I've ever seen worse drivers than I ever have in Los Angeles. And I think that aids to the traffic problem we have. The drivers out here are terrible. I think people get so frustrated by that traffic that when they get an opening, they tend to speed. I think it's the whole environment that causes the bad driver. It's possible. I just think people here have horrible depth perception. The traffic always comes from (laughs) people going uphill or downhill or whenever the freeway curves. And so I feel like that's the biggest issue that I always see with drivers in the city. It's like the second the freeway is merging, people have all of a sudden completely lost their ability to see or function properly. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's just, it's, it's the most challenging driving that I've ever experienced in my whole life. Yeah. See, there you go. <laughs> did people move? Did they migrate out of LA during uh, COVID? Yes, I did have clients leave. I've had some clients go to Atlanta. I've had some clients go to Tennessee, to Idaho, to Arizona, to Nevada. I had quite a few go to Texas. I did have some people leave. Interestingly enough, a good handful of them are already back or on their way back. I found it really fascinating, the people that left and came back, because I think a lot of them felt like we're going to leave and find something better. And then they went somewhere else and realized, Jesus really isn't better. Call me biased. I love Los Angeles. I'll probably never live anywhere else outside, at least outside of California. I think we're probably one of the best areas to live. And I tell people, you pay weather tax to be here. Because if you want 300 days of sun all year and you want to be able to drive from the beach to the mountains in the same day, you just don't get that anywhere. I had quite a few clients go to Idaho. They were there for a year and a half. They got bored. They came back. I had another client go to Texas. She goes, I came to Austin and I did everything there is to do here within two years and I'm over it. And she's already back in L.A. I had another client go to Tennessee. Their first year moving there, there was a huge storm. A tree fell on the house. And she realized, you know, I think we were running away from the earthquakes, but the earthquakes really aren't a thing like people make it out to be here. 
it's really not that bad. I'll take an earthquake or an aftershock any day over a tornado or a hurricane or, you know, any of those other things that we see across the other areas of the country. Yeah, you don't want to go through a tornado. I've been through one of those. But I'll tell you, I can verify the fact that people are coming back because I think I met most of them on the 405 this week. <laughs> Oh, my God, yes. That or the 101, which is the constant part 101, of life. 101 was pretty bad, too. What's your advice for a young family struggling to buy their first house? What would you tell them today if they live in L.A.? My best piece of advice would be, one, to get with a skilled real estate agent. We had a lot of real estate agents enter into the market during the years of COVID because they thought it was going to be easy. And this business is not easy. So you really want to work with someone who's very skilled. I always tell people that when you're interviewing real estate agents, there's a few questions you should always ask before deciding to hire someone. You should ask them how long they've been in the business, how many properties they sell on average a year, and if they actually themselves own a home. Because I don't really believe that you can help me buy or sell a home if you don't own one. And you would be shocked at how many real estate agents don't even own property. Seriously. So those are three things that you should really look at when you're interviewing an agent to work with. That would be the first thing. The second thing would be to have a strategy or a plan in place. That's my other big thing. Because in a market that can be difficult, there's still always ways to get creative to put your clients in a position to succeed. I've never had a client go homeless. It's about empowering them with information and that will empower them in their decision making. And at the end of the day, there's always options. Now, if the person, if the individual themselves is going to be stubborn and is like, I only want to live in Santa Monica and I only want to spend a million dollars. Well, you're not going to find anything because that's not realistic. So it's about being realistic, setting the right expectations and having a strategy because if somebody wants to live in Santa Monica and they've got a million dollars to play with and they need at least three or let's say four bedrooms. Yeah, that's not realistic. You're not going to find that in Santa Monica, but, but maybe just maybe, you know, depending on your commute and the reasoning that you want to be in Santa Monica, we can find you another area that maybe you didn't think about before. And maybe if you give it a chance, you know, we go and look at it together and I can show you the area together and provide you some insight. Maybe then you'll be like, oh, you know, I didn't think about this area and I, I kind of had these judgments about it, but now I'm seeing another side to it. So knowledge is power and having a strategy in place is the best thing that will allow somebody to succeed. Susie, just as last year, you, uh, you, you know your stuff, you know, the LA, LA market. And we appreciate your input and your insight. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate you guys having me back on. It was lovely having the conversation, and I, I appreciate you guys so much and everything you're doing for the community. Remember the name Provia, your single source for professional class, entry doors, storm doors, patio doors, vinyl and wood-clad vinyl windows, vinyl siding, manufactured stone and metal roofing, products made with latest technology and honest old-world craftsmanship, the Provia way. That's this week's podcast. If you want us to share your home improvement project or horror story, email me at kevin at yourvaluablehome.net. That's kevin at yourvaluablehome.net. And don't forget to tell your friends and family about Your Valuable Home, the weekly podcast that's all about building wealth in residential real estate and hiring the right contractor to do the right job at the right price. 